0: You're listening to The Writer's Forum, and I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Peg Tire about her new novel, Strangers in the Night. Peg is an award-winning journalist and a New York Times best-selling author. She has written numerous articles for The Atlantic, The New York Times, Politico, and other magazines. Welcome to the show, Peg.
1: Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, you know, I said this was a new novel, but uh, my first question has to do with publication of the novel. As I understand it, this is a reprinting uh, a novel which was copyrighted back in 94. How did that happen? How did the reprinting happen?
1: Uh, so back in the day, I was a crime reporter covering uh, a crime for a uh, street crime and uh, for a Metropolitan Daily in New York City. And I wrote this book and uh, it is, it really connected with a lot of people. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Wrote a second novel, second of a series. Uh, More recently, uh, Jeremy Wagner from uh, Dead Sky Publishing got in touch with me and said he loved the book, and could he reprint it? And it was such a delight uh, to think that it might connect with readers now, all these years later, is just such a thrill.
0: Oh, good. Well, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, one of the things about the structure, though, that struck me is the first couple of chapters, first of all, are short. Um, Did you make a conscious decision to do that, to keep them short?
1: Uh, yeah, I did because um, I was writing at the time in a newspaper format. And so to, and, and so I was a little terse in the way that I wrote and a little to the point. I also have a sense that uh, when, I, when I was reading books, I appreciated being able to pick up and put down books uh, pretty readily and not being caught in a, in a miasma of plot or words. Uh, So I I actually kind of anticipated the TikTok generation thinking that um, shorter chapters would be more reader friendly.
0: Well, you know, it's also not just the TikTok generation. My age and older, I have friends who read before they go to sleep, and they like those short chapters, too, uh, that they can pick them up again. And it works well. But also the early chapters, the way they're constructed, seemingly unrelated crimes that are occurring uh, in each chapter and then you you weave it all together. Did you have any concern as you were writing that 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 you might lose the narrative, that people might get lost in the process?
1: It was intentional because that's actually the quality of the life that I was leading in that every day there was just some mayhem that I was covering and you wonder what is the through line here? Uh, And for some crimes are just sort of random tragedies. And sometimes there is a through line where you can see systemic issues that bring people to this point over and over again. Uh, so I, I that was purposeful to sort of replicate the quality and texture of the life that my characters were leading.
0: Well, and your main character is named Kate Murray, and she's also a crime reporter. And Strangely,
1: you, strangely enough, yes. Yes,
0: well, <laughs> you mentioned that you were a crime reporter on a police beat. How much of the novel is autobiographical?
1: well i was the the uh romantic part was not autobiographical (laughs) sorry to say uh i was a married woman by the time i took this job uh and uh (laughs) many people that i met in that job were like yeah i'm married too and i was like yeah i'm not married like you're married that's different (laughs) i'm gunning for a different outcome here so uh, yeah, but the crime and the weird New York City stuff and the urban uh, grit was completely observed. Also the bizarre dialogue and the hilarity of certain situations that are just so patently absurd when you're doing that kind of job. The things that you come up, you things that you see and you think, am I really seeing that? Did that person really say that? And so it was a lot of reflecting on that.
0: Okay. Um- one of the questions that it seemed like Kate had to deal with a little bit in the novel, and perhaps she did as well, is, you know, what crimes are noteworthy enough or newsworthy enough to report on? How does a reporter decide that?
1: Yeah, it's really grim, actually. And it's really what you fear. Uh, it's really racist and it's really classist. So a white, blonde, pretty 27-year-old getting... Uh, getting robbed on the Upper East Side, a wealthy neighborhood in New York City, will get better play than two black children in a poor community dying. It's just, it's tragic. And it is even more so now, I think, when we have, like, crime of the moment, you know, where, like, it's always, like, the pretty blonde killed by her boyfriend, right? And we all go crazy over that. And there's so many other crimes and so much other tragedy that happens in poor communities and communities uh, where uh, people of color uh, or people who just don't have means and access uh, that is completely ignored. And uh, that the the shock of that, the inequity of that, the nastiness of that really shaped my life, like how I view the world.
0: Is are you still doing reporting at all?
1: Uh, yeah, I right before the pandemic, I did a piece for the Times. Uh, I'm working on a piece for, uh, but a nonfiction thing for the Georgetown School of Public Policy. Uh, so I'm in a kind of wonkier moment. Uh, I haven't written any fiction in a long time.
0: But did you find, I'm curious about this, did you find the, the for lack of a better word, the weight of being a crime reporter, weighed on you over time, such that you got to a point where you said, okay, that's it, I got to get out of this.
1: I didn't uh, Mm -hmm. have that perspective. (laughs) I didn't have that perspective. I was like, okay, here's my job. I have to do it. Uh, I then, after that, I covered uh, organized crime, and then I covered uh, courts, state and federal court, and then I covered domestic terrorism. After that, I got hired at CNN as an on-air correspondent and covered mostly general assignment, but a lot of terrorism, domestic terrorism. And um, then I moved to, that was a terrible job for me. I mean, it was a great job being on air. Everyone was like, I saw you on TV. But for me, it was, uh, I'm more of a reporter. So it was, I'm less of a performer. And so that was really hard for me to care about the stuff that I needed to care about to be a good correspondent. I then jumped to Newsweek and they in a very, what I saw as a very sexist way. We're like, well, you're a female with kids, cover education. And I was like, oh, it's going to be so boring. But uh, it turned out to be really great. So and I got, a, and I wrote a best selling book and uh, started working in a nonfiction capacity. So I didn't voluntarily leave that beat. I just needed a job and I went where the, where I could get work. Um, but now, you know, we talk a lot about PTSD. And we talk a lot about like the toll that these things take uh, on any, any human. And I think I really struggled with that kind of quietly for a long time. Uh, just didn't have the language for it, didn't have the context to really talk to people about it. In some ways, these books were me, me processing all the crazy stuff that was happening.
0: Right, right. Now, in the book, um, and maybe perhaps in real life, too, uh, besides, as you pointed out, some of the race issues and sex issues or sexism, racism, there's also competition between reporters at the same location and Kate has to deal with that uh, in the book. And it seems like the people are constantly trying to beat each other out on a story or undermine each other. Uh, is that is that an accurate reflection of what you went through?
1: Oh my God. Yeah. And it's a little different now because what I didn't realize when I wrote these books is that this, these were the last great days of news reporting. Uh, there was, you know, you could get fired on a Thursday and hired on a Friday. Like it was, there was a lot of updrafts and a lot of publications and we were very, very cutthroat and everyone was trying to make their career. Uh, and that's also a certain time in life when you're in your twenties and thirties, when you really are trying to make your bones to be, the in the profession that you want to be in but now i think my experience of journalists is that we're all sort of huddled together trying to like just survive the the business model exploding and people are less competitive with each other i mean they're competitive in that they want to have the they want to post the first bit of breaking news there's that kind of competition but there's not the same kind of like elbowing and vying for uh the front page which there was organization which was a great organization but there was we worked hard and we worked there was a lot of camaraderie but there was a tremendous amount of competition
0: Well, but in the book and and i maybe this is a more general question but it's relevant in the book this competition can get dangerous right you can for example like kate you might end up uh embellishing a story or
1: or inflating a story or whatever right constantly constantly i mean It works really well because you work, we worked like little dogs and we didn't even care that our lives were dedicated to that. I mean, we're so, these people who I worked with were so amazing and so dedicated, but that's always a danger. And, you know, sometimes there's support for you actually doing things that are uh, slightly less than ethical. And what you have to remember is that, you know, when the, there's actually people that you work with can be on the other side of the noose when they put it around your neck. Like you have to be really careful and you have to really examine yourself. You're constantly called to say, like, is this right? Is this fair? Am, am, is what I'm doing correct? And it's against the backdrop of intense competition, a lot of snap decisions get made. Some of them are wrong.
0: And are editors looking over your shoulder normally and saying, Okay, you can't do that, you can do this, or are they just saying, gimme, gimme, gimme?
1: You know, it depends on the editors. Some of the editors that I've had are the finest, most moral people I've ever met in the world, that I've ever met in my life. And some of them are just like any profession, kind of shady. But um, (laughs) it's like anyone should know anything,
0: right? All right. So in the book, there's also a relationship between Kate and one of the detectives, uh, John Finn. And I was really curious, and you did a great job of kind of describing the relationship between reporters and detectives and the police and how there's a give and take. But this one goes a little bit beyond that. Um, was that a common
1: thing? Uh, no, that was really more a convention for the book. But actually, I later learned that it was more common than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me personally, but I did have uh, colleagues for whom that was somewhat common. Right. But so, you know, like it's any profession. I don't want to. It was a, a, an amazing group of people. Uh, newspapering and the news business There was a much more kind of rough and tumble environment And a much more in some ways blue collar environment Like there were definitely college kids And I was certainly one of them But there were also ki- also uh, people who had been there for a while Who came from a different walk of life And had every bit of standing in the newsroom That the, the young whippersnappers had So it was a- it was a different world
0: Okay. Well, two, the two detectives that are principal in the book are John Finn and a guy labeled uh, Fat Tony Salazzo. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, talk to me about Finn, though, because he's an interesting character. He's, he's not just, you know, going through the motions. He's got some issues he's trying to deal with, right?
1: Yeah, the people that I met in the in law enforcement, some of them were just like journalists, some of them super scummy, some of them, you know, if I had met them a year before, I probably would have made them the godfather of my kids, like amazing human beings, people I've rarely met, you know, very, very evolved and people who are really trying to evolve themselves in a very, very difficult job. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of people who, like now it's sort of fashionable to be like, defund the police and for sure there's a lot of problems and a lot of, um, in, in law enforcement, In New York City, I think they tended to be more professional because they had more oversight and they had a big, it's a giant police force. And yeah, yeah, you have your people who are criminals for sure, but like you also have people who are amazingly smart, amazingly professional, thinking about their jobs in terms of human costs and in terms of public policy and effect on communities, you know, really far reaching, intelligent people.
0: Well, but Finn, it struck me as Finn being, well, he's an imperfect character, which are the most interesting ones anyway. Um, And do you find that it's more interesting for you to write about the imperfect character than the one who gets everything right?
1: Yeah, I don't, none of the characters ever get anything right. I don't think I've ever met any humans who get anything right. Uh, We're not machines. And I don't like the hero. And I don't like the tough talking dame with a heart of gold. I mean, we're, it's, we're. Yeah, those are those are tedious stereotypes I leave that for uh, other people if yeah leave that for other people not what I'm interested in reading not what I'm interested in writing
0: all right in the book Kate is accused of quote piping a story close quote it's the Edison Monroe story uh, who is in the book and is described right in the book what does piping a story mean
1: yeah it's just uh, embellishing it or uh, sometimes they're like, You read something in the the morning and you'd be like, oh, my God, how did I miss that? And then you realize the reason I missed it is because it's not actually true. Uh, And so you find yourself fact checking a lot of other people's work. And that was the common parlance for when someone, I don't know, got out in front of their skis a little bit, like tends not to be completely uh, false, but just a, a, a narrative that doesn't actually hold hold up. And listen, sometimes that happens because you don't have all the facts and at the end of the day you're trying to put together a story. This was pre-digital, so you couldn't just update things every 20 minutes. So sometimes you would uh, just go with what you had and by the next day there was more information. And that was super awkward and everyone's like, because people in the media are lying. Sometimes they're not lying, it's just you're making sausage and sometimes you just don't have all the ingredients.
0: Okay. Well, one of the major crimes in the book is the murder of a, a woman named Margaret Severing. That murder has a real impact on Detective Finn. Correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Why, why did why was he as your character, the character you created? Why is he so affected by that?
1: I think that there's like what I observed is that at that time in New York City, which was where the homicide rate was two thousand, much much higher than it is now. It's about 300 or 400 now a year. So there was a crack epidemic. There were really good people who were living in poor neighborhoods and they were just like working people. And I think that the news business really had an affinity for those people because we recognized that demographic because we recognized that A, those are our readers. B, those are our, that's our community. Those are the people who ultimately are the lifeblood of New York City. These are people who are getting up every morning, going to work, paying their rent, raising their kids. Good people. Uh, And they come in all different sizes and shapes and jobs and colors and, like, different neighborhoods. And so I think that there was a... uh, I think there was a sense that these were the people that we cared about in New York City, that these were the taxpayers, and precious in a way, and needed to be. And when something tra- tragic happened to them, uh, we paid attention.
0: OK. Now, there's another character in the book, um, uh, kind of a dark character named Dominic, uh, who uh, I guess he lives something uh, lives in something of a delusional world and is, uh, is dangerous where does this character come from? Where's the idea from this character come from?
1: Oh my God. Uh, so when I first started working this beat, I didn't really know anything about law enforcement and there was a some police officers who were arrested and I just very naively started calling around and I reached one of the officer's moms who set me up with an interview in jail with her, her son who was, uh, so I went into like the jail and I was just like a new reporter with a little fur hat and like little high heel shoes and was like trotting in there all like interested. And, uh, I talked to him a while. He said it totally got set up. It was completely, I'm completely innocent. And then I was like, okay, well not much of an interview, right? Not much to write about here. (laughs) Innocent. And so as I, so I signaled to get, um, to be, uh, taken out of that room. And, uh, as the jailer came that you could hear the doors slamming, like they're opening and locking the doors as they came closer to getting me out of there. And just as the last door opened, he said, okay, I got something else to tell you. And he basically just told me that he had been a drug dealer and, uh, in law enforcement. And as we talked, I realized that what was happening is actually, he was a drug addict and he was, Detoxing as he was talking to me, and of course I was gripped. And so that story was the—I don't know—I was on the job like three days uh, on that beat for like three days, and then I sort of broke open this whole because he gave up everything. He gave up that he had been in jail, but he—he had been arrested, but they didn't—they really, just had a little evidence, and he basically gave up everything to me. So I sort of led the news cycle for about five days. And I so we got to be known to each other, as you would imagine. Uh, and he just had such a crazy story. And I wish him well. I, I hope that he's still alive. I'm sh- he did a fair bit of jail time. He was a drug addict. And I later understood the role that addiction plays in so many crimes. But he also did a terrible thing, which is to be robbed drug dealers, to sell drugs, to support his habit, which was yeah. just tragic.
0: And there's some breadcrumbs I'm, I may be picking up on in there about him and his mother's relationship.
1: Yeah, that was really uh, very, 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 very close.
0: bizarre. Okay, Yeah, All very right.
1: close relationship in a way uh, that yeah, that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, I was really struck by something you wrote and you touched on this earlier, uh, but I'm gonna quote it and then ask you about it. Quote, reporters and editors rarely acknowledge the lives forever scarred by tragedy. They're always calculating who was leading, who was holding their own, which news organization had missed the story altogether, close quote. That's the psychological aspect of being a reporter like Kate is in the story, right?
1: Yeah, I think that you are both very in touch with humanity because you're talking to people at an unbelievably vulnerable moment, but it can be very extractive and it can be very um, it transactional. Becomes yeah, you know? it
0: comes. That's a good word. As you say, it comes across as if the reporters are completely impersonal and, uh, 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 you know, oblivious—if that's the right word—to the lives that they're dealing with.
1: On what? In one way, yes. And in another way, like yes. And you know, in bar afterwards, when you're talking about it, or in retrospect, when you're talking about a story, it's easy to be cavalier. But man we're just people right so like you are really one is really affected by the people that you meet and uh you know at the end of the day i could not have been more grateful like when i think back at that time more grateful to the people who i i interacted with who really wanted their stories told and they had to deal with shitty little me you know to like shitty little 30 something me who didn't, who was just parachuting into their lives at a terrible time. And I was their only conduit to really get their story told. And it must have been a total drag for them. But mm-hmm. they were very gracious and very generous. Um, All right.
0: So um, I think I know why, but I have to ask. Frank Sinatra is involved in this novel. A little bit. <laughs> Frank Sinatra songs, anyway. In fact, yeah, that's was where the Frank place.
1: Sinatra moment. I have to, I don't, what can I tell you? I'm, Wait, how does that,
0: is it just because it's New
1: York? Uh, yeah, I guess. And also I was thinking of a series. So I was thinking of like, well, I wanted like uh, to book titles that were known to people, but maybe not known to people of my generation. And okay. so in culture, but uh, not identi- not readily, I mean, readily identifiable, like known, but not known.
0: OK, well, you know, I used to name my graduate papers after Pink Floyd songs. So I, well, I, I you understand, I understand
1: okay. where I'm coming from. Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right. Let me ask you this authors will also often say to me that if they create a good character, the character helps write the story. Okay. Now I understand this part of this is kind of autobiographical, but was did Kate and the character of Kate or the character of John Finn that you created help in writing the story and the trajectory of the story.
1: Yeah, I think that's very true. You know, it took me about five years to really learn how to write fiction. Uh, and uh, I was writing a lot, a lot, a lot every day. You know, thousands of words every day, a thousand, 1, fifteen hundred words every day, uh, on deadline. Getting the material, writing it, and so this was a chance for me to really like explore what it is to have character-driven narrative. And it was really hard. Like I wrote and wrote and wrote, and it was terrible. And then eventually, when I got un- when I understood how to be in character and how to let them inhabit a story, my writing changed. Um, it's very hard to write a novel. I If anyone's writing as well as a reader out there, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can do something else, try and do it because it's, it's just to do it well is very, very difficult.
0: Well, uh, did you you live with your characters as you were writing? Let's talk about Kate. and I, you live with them constantly?
1: So did. You know, I, I think it was Ann Patchett who once said that like writing a novel is like having the bathwater running in your bathtub. Like, you always have a little bit of, like, your brain kind of thinking about, like, what's the water level there? Like, where are my characters? Like, what would they say in this situation? Like, you're constantly have a little part of your brain that's always in that story. My husband's a novelist also, and we used to call it being in, I'd say, are you all right? He'd be like, oh, I'm just in bookland, You know, it's just okay. like you're thinking yeah. about your story.
0: Yeah, I, I interviewed a writer one time who said that um, he wrote poetry and fiction. He said poetry was acute pain and novels was a dull pain. Um, I'm not sure if that resonates or not. All right, let me, add, let me end with this question. Um, and again, I know you wrote this book a long time ago, so it may be harder to remember, but if you can draw from anything else, it's fine. I'm always curious when you write fiction and you create a character, and then this character has to go through certain things that you have to figure out, right? What do you learn about yourself?
1: Uh, okay, I learned that my reactions to things were not, like, wide, widely acceptable. (laughs) I learned how weird I really am in my head. Like, I think, like, oh, my character would do this, and then I would show it to someone, and would be like, that is such a bizarre reaction. Like, no one would do that, and I'd be like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I realized how weird I really was, and I had to kind of norm it up a little bit, because, um, yeah. I've got a, a squirrely brain. so Maybe the, uh, maybe
0: all those years on the beat uh, had that effect on you.
1: Could be, could be, uh, yeah.
0: I, unfortunately, Peg, that's all the time I have for today. Peg, is there a, a, a website or a social media site or whatever that folks can go to to learn more about you, to learn more about this book, as well as other books?
1: So I have a website, pegtyre, pegtyr com, And uh, Dead Sky Publishing has... Uh, has my books uh, for sale and also Amazon.
0: Okay, well, thanks so much for being on the show. Folks, it's called Strangers in the Night. Uh, you can play a Frank Sinatra song while you're reading it if you want. It's it's a good one. And thanks for being on the show, Peg.
1: Such a pleasure, thank you.
0: Folks, music for the show is provided by Valerie Hunt Jester. Uh, the show is produced by our own Tyler O'Brien. Tune in next Tuesday at 4 p.m. or Wednesday at 5.30 in the morning for the next segment of the writers forum.